This episode will contain spoilers for the book The Rise of Harriet Franklin. If you've not yet read this book but intend to, please don't listen to this episode. However, if you've not yet read this book and don't intend to, feel free to give it a listen, but just know I will spoil everything. Enjoy! This is a trigger warning for this episode. Because of the dark themes explored throughout this book, this episode will also contain those themes, including, but not limited to, sexual assault, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, mania, depression, mental health issues, PTSD, and a lot of similar triggers. If this is harmful to you and your mental state, please do not listen. Protecting your mental health is so much more important than listening to a podcast by me. Lots of love, Bella. Shut up, Bella. You know what? No. Hello and welcome back to the Shut Up Bella podcast, the podcast in which you all beg me to shut up and I do not listen. My name is Bella, I am your host, and in today's episode we are doing yet another deep dive into one of my books. But this week we're doing a deep dive into my book, The Rise of Harriet Franklin, or how I will be referring to it throughout this episode, T-Roth. Now, this episode will be just as long, if not longer, than the episode on the dethroning of Montgomery Kaiser, because... The whole reason I sort of wanted to start a podcast was to explain a bit more about my books, but that is why, the main reason for this is why I, the main, I don't know what I'm trying to say, the main reason I want to do this podcast is so I can talk about this book and just totally geek out over it. I love this book. A while ago when I asked for questions for the podcast on my Instagram story, Zamina, aka Beyond Brunette, asked what is the favourite book, my favourite book I've written, and the answer is this book. I totally love it. I can't explain why. Actually, I can explain why, and I'll explain why throughout this whole podcast. You will see exactly why it is I love it. But to start with, I just wanted to explain a little bit about the background of this book if you have not yet read it. If you haven't read it and you're listening to this podcast, like the spoiler warning stated, I'm going to spoil everything if you're all right with that and you still want to read it after this podcast. That's totally fine. It's up to you, essentially. But this book is the prequel to T-Donk. In this book, we get to see everything that Harriet went through during her time with the top ten. The synopsis of this book is as follows. She wants infamy, popularity, recognition, the opposite of her previous life, and she could have it all too for a price. But is it a price Harriet Franklin is willing to pay? Now this synopsis is quite a bit shorter than the T-Dump synopsis and I think in part that is because this is a shorter book. I always intended for this book to be a lot shorter than T-Dump and that is because I view this book as almost like a novella rather than a full novel. It's short and it gets to the point in a way that T-Dump is a lot more flowery I would say, a lot more um, lyrical and this book is blunt, hard facts because essentially this isn't a book. It's a framed narrative and the narrative is framed in the way that throughout the book Harriet is telling the story of what happened to to Eva. That is the structure, that is the narrative structure of this book. If you did not know that then I would suggest you check 
the prologue and epilogue again where that sort of like sandwiches the events of the book to show where the prologue begins with Harriet starting to tell the story and the epilogue ends with Harriet tying up the story after she's told everything to Eva. So now throughout this episode I will be doing exactly what I've done in the past. I will be explaining my motivations behind this book, some of my favourite scenes. I'm going to read out actually my favourite chapter from this book because I love it so much. It's my favourite thing I've ever written. I'll be deep diving into the characters of this book, Harriet, Jacob, Penelope, and we'll touch on Montgomery again in a lot more detail than I did last week. And we'll do a few fun facts about this book also. So if that all interests you, just keep listening. So let's dive straight into the plot of this book and where the idea of the plot came from. So if you follow me on other social media, you've probably already heard this, but I'll just reiterate it for the sake of the podcast. This idea came to me because of the album Manic by Halsey. I'm pretty sure that Manic, that album came out early 2020, maybe late 2019. And if you don't know, I'm a huge fan of Halsey. Um, my do a whole podcast on it. I love it a lot. And I first listened to that album, I wasn't a huge fan initially. I don't think it's very much like what she has done in the past. It's totally different to Badlands, it's totally dip- different to Hopeless Fountain Kingdom. So it was something different and it definitely, definitely grew on me. And one day I was listening to this album, specifically there's this bit in the song Forever is a Long Time. After Halsey says, the colour's just right, the colour's just right. And it takes this like dark, ominous kind of sound to it and that sound that specific sound when she says I cannot keep a perfect thing and not demolish it that's what inspired chapter 22 chapter 32 of the rise of Harriet Franklin now initially I wrote chapter 32 it was supposed to be a bonus chapter for TDOM and that was supposed to be kind of my way of explicitly while also not explicitly showing what Harriet went through with the top 10. It was just supposed to be an allusion to how she ended up in the medical facility and the effects of what they did to her. So I wrote that chapter while I was in school. I was sat in one of the private study pods in my school. I had my headphones in, I was listening to the album Manic. I was surrounded by people revising for exams and actually doing their schoolwork and I wrote this chapter. I'm going to read this chapter aloud a little later on when it comes to talking about my favourite scenes from this book. But I wrote this chapter and it included so many little hints to Harriet's addiction that's been growing throughout the book, the grooming she's experienced throughout the book. And as soon as I finished, as soon as I wrote the last sentence and you this can't just be a one-off bonus chapter i can't just pick up harriet franken like this and then drop it i have to for my personal sake i have to go back and i have to write her a book and that is what i did now the physical way i wrote this book is a lot different to how i wrote my other books so if you've heard the other deep dive what I usually do is I write in chronological order so you know I start with chapter one work all the way through to chapter 27 or chapter 42 however many chapters I've planned for the book that's just the order I write in and I usually do that to help with you know continuity and not losing the flow of writing 
And usually because that's how the characters remember things. They remember, remember it in one story rather, rather than segments. But the thing about Harriet is, obviously she goes through pretty heavy addiction to drugs in this book, specifically ecstasy. And so part of me wanting to represent her fragmented mental state, it meant that I was able to write this book out of order. And uh, this was a conscious decision I made to write this out of order because obviously if she is to look back and remember it, she remembers some things much more in detail than others because it just depends on what stage of her addiction she was in. Uh, for example, as I said, I wrote chapter 32, which was supposed to be the last chapter. I wrote that chapter first. Then I wrote the New York series of chapters, which are around the middle of the book. They're titled Take a Trip. I wrote those chapters. And then I wrote Harriet's birthday party. And from there, I just filled in the gaps. The last few chapters I wrote were leading up to the final chapters. And this really did help me get more into the fragmented mental state of Harriet while I was writing from first person because obviously it's not good to include plot holes but when I was forgetting like little details from chapter one it's sort of that's what Harriet would have been doing as well. So my excuse for being lazy and forgetting things I could pin it on the character I was writing from. Another thing structurally I played with in this book is the chapter lengths. So usually I try to keep chapter lengths in my books pretty uniform. I try to write chapters that are between 2,000 to around 3,000 words because that is what performs best on Wattpad and the best in my books. And that with those numbers I'm able to go into enough depth while also not going into too much depth. But with this book I did it totally different. Like I said, Harriet would have remembered some things in more detail, some things in less, so it didn't make sense for every little aspect to be given the exact same amount of detail. So that is why some chapters are only 300 words. The chapter where she reflects on the fact that she has everything she wanted, or at least she thinks she does, and nothing can go bad, and this is where her story should end because she's in this blissful state of mania and euphoria. That chapter is very short, Whereas there's chapters, like the New York chapter, that is 5,000 words. That is one of the longest chapters I've ever written. And that is so long because of how formative it was for Harriet, that experience. So instead of trying to do things very much like I've done them with other books in the past, I really said effort and I decided to write this book in a totally new way. And I think that adds to why it's one of my favourites because the physical process of writing it was such a unique experience. With this book as well, I wrote it very quickly. So this, I was writing this book in January 2020 and most of the time I wrote these chapters within school. I would like sit in the corner of the school library or I would sit anywhere in school where I could find some quiet. I would have my headphones in, listening to this album Manic by Halsey and I would just write. I, I got to the point where I think I was writing about 3,000 chapters a day during my three periods at school. And I was banging this book out because it was all I could think about. Last week I said how when I was editing T-Dunk I ate, slept and breathed that book. This was so much worse. Every spare second I had I was adding and adding and adding to this book. Because the story, Harriet's story just seemed so important to me. And 
I didn't understand why I hadn't thought about writing it sooner, if I'm being honest with you. I just think I let this book become so fundamental to my life and I had to get it out and I wanted to get it out as fast as possible and so that's why I made some changes to the way I write and usually I wouldn't write at school because I'd be scared of someone seeing what I was doing but with this book I just I didn't even care I just it was like a, a compulsion I just needed to get it onto one document and let the world have it almost within the plots of T-Roth and T-Dom respectively I think there's a lot of little easter eggs between the two that I'm going to take a second to talk about because as a writer including that sort of stuff is so much fun I now understand why like the MCU and other franchises include easter eggs it's so fun to place them there and have readers spot them and then to have readers not spot certain ones so one of my favourite little continuations between the two is Jacob's Roof and T-Dom like I said Eva and Jacob sit on Jacob's Roof twice to have a little deep conversation and Harriet and Jacob in chapter 13 I think it is or it could be 11 the chapter is called contemplate everything Harriet and Jacob sit on Jacob's roof and they talk about their deepest fears I really like that scene because we get to see why Harriet's doing everything she's doing she just wants to be remembered she just wants to be loved and we also get to see why Jacob is with the top 10 and it's because his economic status is nothing in comparison to those around him and he is using the networks and the connections that top 10 have to benefit his potential career in the future so that he can help his mother who has worked so hard for him and i really love this between the two because i don't know about you guys but like is it not your dream to sit on a rooftop at night overlooking a city this night is starry with the love of your life and just talk about your deepest fears and how you feel about one another is that not your dream it's my dream if anyone's up for doing this with me let me know and i love the how it ends with harriet saying she wants to be part of something spectacular or she wants to do something spectacular and jacob just says you are spectacular you know you don't need to try harry like it's already within you i really love that i think because obviously nobody recognizes Harriet until she makes over herself but I don't think that's why Jacob notices Harriet I think while Harriet was self-conscious in her appearance that sort of carried into the way she carried herself and her confidence so she wasn't able to talk to people like Jacob but as soon as she is able to talk to Jacob and get on Jacob's radar he falls instantly in love with her like he falls so fast it's ridiculous last episode i touched a bit on how i'll never be a love at first sight girl and the only exception for this is jacob and harriet and i think that is because even though jacob falls for her very very quickly i mean who wouldn't it's harriet franklin jacob falls very quickly the point of view where you get to say is harriet and harriet's point of view throughout this whole book is incredibly messy because of the drug state she is in not drug state the state she is in with her mental health being quite fractured in her mania and her addiction so i think that is very interesting to see because harriet thinks she's in love with him this whole time but then she doesn't love him a second later and then in the prologue you know eva asks did you did you ever love him 
and she just she can't tell that moment is inspired by if you've seen the movie spin not the movie the tv series spinning out with caius godelario and evan roderick evan is the face claim for montgomery actually and there's a scene where after cat has bipolar disorder and after going through mania she while she's in a manic state she tells justin that she loves him and after that justin approaches her and says did you even mean it or was it just part of your mania and i think that was really interesting to include in this book you know the idea of does harriet love jacob or is it a part of everything she goes through in my opinion she does love him but if you disagree let me know but i think the romance in this book is not as important as you may think but i'm going to talk about romance a little later next i want to talk a bit more about the new york episode episodes i keep saying episodes instead of chapters the new york chapters because they are some of my favorite so now like i said i really wanted to dive into the new york episodes episodes chapters new york chapters in this book because these were the ones that caused me some issues not writing it after writing it so if you didn't know and for a while i took this book down i had no intentions of publishing it again and that is because obviously it is quite a mature book and it does include mature content not in terms of like sexual content more in terms of like the drug addiction and the mental health issues and the assault issues so that is why i took this book down particularly because i did not want it to be viewed as me romanticizing what happens to harriet throughout this book and this was particularly poignant in chapter 18 take a trip which is the 5030 word chapter of harriet's date with montgomery in new york obviously throughout this chapter drug use is especially especially prevalent and the way it makes harriet feel is the most explicit in this chapter than it is throughout the whole book it is alluded to and mentioned a lot and i think this chapter made me so hesitant to publish the book because of i, I never want it to be viewed as being romanticizing drug use drug addiction whatsoever i want the exact opposite of that i wanted to show you know what harriet lets get to her in order to be part of the top 10 so it was hard going back and editing this chapter in particular there are was quite a few certain phrases and paragraphs taken out because it did come across too romanticizing of the addiction and that was never something I want to include but overall I do like these chapters now I find it so interesting to look at what Harriet went through especially in New York and especially with the way Montgomery treats Harriet in New York I think is interesting because throughout T-Donk he treats Eva in a very specific way but throughout T-Roth he treats Harriet in such a different way it is much more about him getting her on his side and making Harriet like him in a way it's a lot of compliments and gifts in quite materialistic ways of trying to win her over which he doesn't do with Eva because he knows it won't work with Eva 
in this chapter I particularly like the moments with Dolores especially the last bit with Dolores when we see her after she's just been assaulted by Montgomery and she is sort of vacant and she's in a really bad state and that use of foreshadowing to what is going to happen to Harriet I think is very effective and then how we see Dolores again in T-Donk and we learn about how she had her baby because of this event and how she was able to restructure her life after it I think for me personally I enjoyed writing that also within this chapter I love the moment on the roof when they're looking out at the city and we kind of get this impression by them being on the city on top of everything that it's almost like Montgomery owns everything that's sort of the feeling throughout this chapter I think that Montgomery can get Harriet whatever she wants as long as she gives him what he thinks she owes him which obviously we all know she doesn't owe him a single thing but I think that is very interesting and then after the take a trip chapter we have the decline and offer chapter I'm pretty sure it's called in which on the way back from New York on the plane Montgomery propositions Harriet and asks him asks her pardon to be his girlfriend I guess be part of his open relationship with Kiara and there's a bit a specific bit of dialogue that I'm just looking for and where it is where Montgomery's talking about his relationship and he says I allow her to see other people as do, as I do too and I think the use of allow that is interesting because it just shows the power he has over that entire relationship it's not really between Montgomery and Kiara I'm talking about here it's not a relationship of equals it is a relationship where he where he holds power and she is expected to just deal with it not only that at the end of this chapter I really love the moment where Harriet is in the airfield and she is talking about her money you know where her my money went she's really focusing on her lack of money and I think that is interesting because once again it just shows how her priorities have shifted since becoming part of the top 10 she no longer cares about wanting to be loved and wanting to be recognized her focus now is more on the material and the wealth aspects of being with top 10 and I think obviously that moment again foreshadows what happens in chapter 32 just with her lying there in the airfield broken catatonic waiting for Jacob to come and pick her up and fix her and then having nobody but strangers to pick her up and fix her in 32 I think that is really interesting to see you know how her addiction forces her to push people away and not be able to accept them back into her life this book in terms of the plot is also over a larger chronological period than my other books bar report missing that is so T-Dump the events take place between late August and early December if I'm correct yes I'm pretty sure I am and the rise the first degree is over a similar time period of a few months I think but this book it takes place over almost a full academic year I'm pretty sure the book ends in about May-ish and it begins in late August with the first day of school so it is designed to show that when Montgomery really wants to get a girl sounds awful to say I know but I can't think of a better way of phrase it so when he really does want to win a girl over let's say even though we all know what I mean by that hopefully when he wants to win a girl over 
he is capable of doing it over a long period of time you know his process is a lot longer and it's sort of to show that perhaps if Eva if Eva's plan wasn't so short term and it was a long-term plan that was supposed to take place over a year the same thing would have happened to her where over that long period of time there was no way of escaping Montgomery Kaiser and that is disgusting for me to think about but also it's painfully true so now I quickly just want to talk about a few of my other favourite moments in the book I love the moment between um, Harriet and every time Harriet plays poker basically I love it I think poker I mentioned last week about how different games sort of have different like motifs and connotations in my books in this book the game that is mentioned a lot is poker and that's because poker is a game of chance it is a game of the luck of the draw and it is a game of not necessarily skill i do think being a poker player has skill but it's more about people skills whereas strategic skills which shows the difference between t off and t donk perfectly in my opinion harriet is a skilled poker player the only person who can beat her at poker in the chapter where she plays it is nathaniel ashby which i think is very telling other moments I love, I love the moment at the end of the party after Jacob and Harry have just agreed to start their secret relationship where Penelope texts her and says, you know, it's time for us to go home and we find out she's had this necklace snatched off her neck and she has this big scratch going across her chest and obviously Harriet's very worried and she's asking, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong, who did this to you? And when she just says, F him, she hissed, grit her teeth, F him to hell and back. I think that is, I just love it because I know I'll talk about Penelope a little bit later, but I just, I do love her in this book. I love all the moments between um, Harriet and Penelope at the bars. I think that is incredible. Just to see like the dynamic between Harriet and Penelope. Like I said, I'll talk more about that later, but I just is one aspect of this book I really enjoy and next my favourite aspect of this book is chapter 32 which like I said I'm going to read in case you haven't read this book but you're still listening to this podcast I do want to just share that chapter because it's one of my favourite things I've ever written and it is in my opinion the best part of this book so without further ado here is that chapter I pushed my skirt back down I took a breath blinked eyes still looking at nothing but the cracks in the ceiling. I could have sworn the cracks were moving, wriggling away from me like worms trying to fruitlessly free from a predator. My underwear was gone, but I didn't know where. I stayed laying down, arms still pathetically attempting to cover my exposed chest when my dress had torn right down the middle. The rattles of breath shook right through me until it reached my fingertips. With a clenched jaw, I tried to stop the shaking, but it wouldn't stop. When I stood up, something trickled down my leg. Standing still for a few minutes, I tried to stop swaying on my feet. Hours ago, I reveled in the way my body swayed, had a life of its own, a glorious drunkenness evident in even my simplest moment. My own body was betraying me. After gathering some remnants of my composure, I took a shaky step. I left behind a large red crimson stain on the carpet. My vision was blurry as I swung the bedroom door open. The red of the carpet bled into the white of the walls. Streaks of girls and boys seeking privacy blended into one. I was spinning, every moment feeling like another pirouette. The party was still roaring. 
Everyone was looking at me, staring, unable to look away. Their stares were making me itch, as I felt trapped under the weight of them. My head darted around the room, seeking out an exit, an escape from their ferocious scrutiny. The back door was open. I could feel the breeze against my bare legs as I limped through the house. The wind was speaking to me. I could hear it echoing in my brain, an invitation, a haven. On the counter next to the door was a bottle of vodka. As I left, I grabbed it. The breeze was intoxicating. Before I could even register it, I'd put a safe distance between myself and the party. I didn't recognise the neighbourhood I was in. I didn't recognise anything. The trees were towering, glooming figures with gnarled shadows. Flinching, another shadow added to the scene, stretching and growing. It was a bird flying underneath the streetlight. After that, I couldn't shake the fear that somebody had followed me. My breath had abandoned me. I ended up on my knees in the middle of the road, clutching at my throat, pleading with the stars. Have mercy, I begged. Have mercy. Please, I said. Tell her I never wanted this. Tell her I was a liar all this time. She's always right. An engine purred, headlights pouring across the sides of my face, blinding me with the hypocritical light, and I couldn't even move out the way. I just wanted to be here. I spoke to the sky, hoping it would replay my message when appropriate. Hey, you okay? The guy, he was tall and blonde, with braces and broad shoulders. I was face to face with the bonnet of the car, face to face with my own distorted reflection. With the mascara pooled beneath my bloodshot eyes, with hair sticking out in every direction, sweat clinging to every inch of my pale skin, fingers clutching desperately at the cool glass of the vodka bottle. Every moment was accompanied by a tremble. Kiara Knight would never look this awful. Is she crying, Harry? A girl said. Yeah, and she's bleeding, Harry responded. I wasn't, or if I was, I couldn't even feel it. In seconds or hours, someone was kneeling in front of me. All I could see was white, white hair, white skin, the whites of his eyes, white knuckles, clutching white sheets, blinding white pain. Stop it, I mumbled as soon as a hand was placed on my forearm. The touch burned, and I cried out as another hand was clamped down on my shoulder. Get off. Stop it. Why did my voice sound like that? So coarse, so harsh, as if I was seconds away from losing it. She's psycho high, Harry, the girl said. She was behind me, or maybe she was the one with the white hair in front of me. Look at her eyes, Jesus. Hope, I think she's been... I'll call for an ambulance. What's your name? I blinked. It was Harry in front of me, with such kind eyes. Eyes so brown, and when I looked into them, I convinced myself it wasn't even him in front of me. What are they going to say? I whispered. My fingers loosened on the bottle, and it clattered to the ground, glass crashing instantly. Thousands of shards, tiny fragments of glass, all as sharp as a dagger, surrounding me as I kneeled on the pavement, the coarse gravel cutting into my knees. Who are you? Harry implored. For the first time since the word left his lips, I understood what he was saying. I'm nothing. And so, I fell into the pile of broken glass. It cut against my skin. Harry shouted something muffled hope. After hours, or seconds, or years, flashing lights illuminated everything. And the glass around me glowed so enticingly I reached for it, to clutch in my hands, barely wincing at the pain, because my destruction looked so gorgeous. Someone strode over confidently, brushed some glass out of the way and looked right into my eyes. 
Their eyes were blue, bright and piercing, and I wanted to flee, wanted to run, because I only knew one person with eyes like that. Last time eyes like that looked at me, I ended up paralysed in a bed, stripped of everything. A strangled plea came from the back of my throat as I started to struggle, placing my hands onto the glass to push myself up and away from this new tormentor. She can't be more than 15, she looks like a kid. The eyes belonged to a feminine voice and I relaxed. Because it wasn't a girl who'd done this to me. It couldn't be. Sweetheart, what's your name? I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. I chanted, reminding everyone. They were all staring, I could feel it, staring and wondering why I was such a freak. I'm a joke, I'm desperate, I'm pathetic. Her phone's medical ID says her name is Harriet Franklin, 17, Hope said. I winced and shook my head. No, 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 not her. Let's get you standing up and calm down, the nice paramedic said, holding me under my armpits and hoisting me up. The world twisted and twirled, and I knew who it showed off for. One of the paramedics was a guy, short but plump, thick arms and spangly legs, dusty blonde hair. And then he said my name, Harriet, in the slow, testing voice that Montgomery did seconds before he took what he thought was his, what he thought I'd offered him. Hadn't I offered him it? I flirted. I flirted with everyone, even while I had a boyfriend for the majority of the year. Because it didn't matter. Flirting, male attention made me feel competent. It made my bones vibrate with the same euphoria that alcohol did, that speed did. So didn't I have it coming? One day I would coyly offer something to someone with no intention of giving it to them. It was only a matter of time before someone demanded what I had teasingly offered. Harriet, let's lie you down. Not again, I mumbled. His fingers around my arm felt like acid. I screeched and tugged myself away. Not again. I'm not her. I promise. You want her and I'm not. I pleaded, looking into the paramedic's face. Had I promised him something too? Was he here to collect? I don't want anything, Harriet, the paramedic said, holding his palms up. He was sizing me up, seeing how much effort it would take to overpower me. No, I'm not her, I said, eyes wide as I looked around. The world was too big and I had nowhere to run that he wouldn't find me. He'd always get what I owed him. I hate her. I hate her. She did this to me. I hate her. I screamed. I screamed so loud that houses on the street flickered their lights on, coming to their windows and drawing their curtains so they could observe the show. They tried to advance towards me, but I kicked, punched, screamed so they couldn't. Hope had hidden her face, cradled safely in Harry's arms, and I was wild, feral, until I was falling back into someone's grasp. I was smart enough to know I was being sedated. I'm not her. You've got it all wrong, I gasped. After that, my vision wasn't mine. My body wasn't mine. Even my thoughts belonged to something much bigger than me. So if you manage to listen to that whole reading, you'll probably be able to understand perhaps why it's my favourite chapter. I think the best line is the line where it uses the repetition of white, you know, the white hair, white eyes, for example. I love that line because throughout the book and throughout Cheedon, it is, you know, repeated quite a lot that Montgomery is associated with cold colours and with ice and that to me correlates to white and I think I don't know I just think that chapter it perfectly summarises everything I wanted to say about what happened to Harriet and I really love it in a way that I don't think I could under I don't think anyone could understand if other writers out there have chapters like this I'm sure you do actually I think 
it's the same way where artists will have a favourite portrait or you know if you're writing a TV show you'll have a favourite episode I just think this chapter does something that you know some of my other chapters don't for me personally I mean this book doesn't have half as many comments as um, T-Donk but that's not me saying that I don't like it any less because it doesn't have that but you know I get a lot less readers opinions on this book so if you have read this book and would like to give me some opinions on this chapter or any of the chapters please do but now I will move on to some of the characters I will be deep diving into so in terms of minor characters I think one of the most important minor characters is Candace Franklin who will be brought up more in the third book The Dissolution of Court but I think when it makes references to Candace over seeing and witnessing Harriet's overdoses and in the final chapters of the book where Harriet is having to sneak into her own house and her sister's just begging her to stay and to just to not need to love her more than she loves the drugs I think that is fundamentally something that affects Candace for years to come which you will see in the dissolution of court that is a big part of her trauma and the way she has to move on with her life knowing and what she has saw from her sister other characters include obviously Darlene and Yasmin play a less of important role in this book and it is implied that Darlene never liked Harriet and that is because you know Darlene is she's much more blunt and straightforward whereas Harriet is a lot softer around the edges and naive which is why she doesn't like which is why Darlene doesn't like Harriet Nate in this book yeah his role is fairly simple I think Nate and Harriet only have one conversation and it's when Nate drives her home from a party and Harriet makes comments like I know the perfect girl for you and to a reader it's obvious that she's talking about Eva but because Harriet never mentions the name Nate is unable to put that put two and two together in the moment but yeah that is Harriet saying she thinks Nate and Eva would be perfect for each other and that's because they are. This book does in general have less characters that play a fundamental role that as opposed to T-Donk because like I said it's a novella if this book was longer I could include more characters because I would have more time and more of a chance to explore them in full depth but because I knew this book was going to be shorter I knew that including lots and lots of characters wasn't going to be very smart because I wouldn't get the chance to fully explore them in the way that they deserve. So now let's move on to the main driving characters of the book. So before we talk about Harriet Franklin I want to give you all a little bit of an English literature lesson on the modern tragedy. So if you are unaware of what the modern tragedy is, the modern tragedy is a play on the classical Greek tragedy in which instead of a king or a nobleman falling from power it's a modern modern man, a common man and he falls from grace and experiences this great, great tragedy. In a modern tragedy there are different aspects to make it a tragedy. For example you have the peripatria, the turning point of the tragedy in which from that point on the events are inevitable. From that point on there is no going back on in terms of the, in terms of the main character's fate. To be a tragedy you obviously have to have a tragic hero or in this case a tragic heroine. So Harriet Franklin is my tragic heroine in this book. The events 
also have to be seen as so tragedies are usually plays obviously this is a book it's not a play and usually within a tragedy the events all take place within one setting one day and with i can't remember the other one but it's like one main plot line like they all come under it's supposed to build up to a feeling of catharsis and for me personally i think chapter 32 in terms of harriet really accentuates that catharsis so catharsis is a feeling of it's like watching a train wreck happen and know you can't do anything to fix it so by the time you've watched it you just feel a sense of relief that it's over but also a sense of absolute dread that from what you've just watched and I think chapter 32 is definitely my attempt at that and Harriet Franklin is definitely my attempt at a tragic heroine in the way that Tennessee Williams did with Blanche Dubois in A Streetcar Named Desire and in the way that Macbeth is the tragic hero and things like that. So the turning point in this book in terms of Harriet's tragedy definitely has to be the moment where Montgomery approaches her and asks to go on a walk with her around the gardens and before this Harriet had been sober for a while she'd gotten sober to prove to herself that she could and she did but then Montgomery threatens her and that sends her in a total downward spiral and from that moment on her fate is sealed what is going to happen to her is inevitable from that moment in my opinion so Harriet if you've listened to the podcast or are a big fan of the podcast you're wrong about then you'll know what I mean when I say whenever I think of Harriet the first phrase that comes to mind is oh sweetie no (laughs) because all she wants is to be loved and liked and why is that such a bad thing why does she have to go through all this trauma just for people to like her just for herself to have friends and confidence it just it breaks my heart for her honestly I love her a lot and as this book perhaps gets more readers maybe it won't that's totally fine honestly because I don't know if I am prepared for these comments but comments saying they don't like her throughout the book like that is the whole point the top 10 chew her up and spit her out for their own entertainment they do it so they can essentially see how far they can pull a girl before she snaps and Harriet does snap I think one of the most interesting Harriet scenes is when she fights Penelope in the corridor at school because obviously the Eva and Penelope fight was not very mutual. They both wanted to fight each other. But Penelope is very hesitant to fight Harriet, whereas Harriet has got herself in such a state that she thinks the whole world's against her and she's incredibly paranoid. The Harriet from the beginning of the book and the Harriet at the end of the book are two totally different people. I think if they met each other and had a conversation, they would both hate each other. And I think that's what is so interesting because... Harriet goes through a lot of negative character development and that is not her fault obviously it's the fault of her addiction which is a disease and I think it was interesting to write in a much more mature way than the way I tackled Sabrina Collis's addiction in First Degree. Obviously I'm not saying my portrayal of addiction is perfect I did a lot of research a lot of research into this book and if you're sitting out there thinking this is highly romanticising the messages of the book or it's inaccurate, just message me and I will once again take this book down. Like I said, I love it because for personal reasons and if you think it's harmful in any way or that the trigger warnings on this book aren't strong enough, let me know and I will rectify that as soon as I can.
So now let's talk about the reason why this episode is called Simps Galore Part 2, part 1 being last week's episode. This week's biggest simp award goes to, who is surprised, it's Jacob Talbot. Jacob is a simp for Harriet. Jacob would do anything Harriet Franklin asked of him and I think that is why I idolise that relationship so much. It is ridiculous how much I like that relationship but anyway. So in terms of Jacob's characteristics, you know, he's an athlete and he's like the class clown and he's a little bit of a heartbreaker, or he was before he met Harriet, bit of a serial player and then he meets Harriet Franklin and that all goes out the window and all he wants to do is love this girl. He basically falls in love with her from the moment they sat, sit on that rooftop and she tells him her biggest fears. From that point, he he is hooked on her. I think the moments in Jacob's eyes that are important to their relationship is the kitchen moment at the Halloween party where they're talking about their costumes. That isn't important for him. Obviously the pool house moment at the party when Harriet breaks into the boys room. That is important because that is when Jacob starts to understand Harriet's fears about their relationship going public and obviously that's when their relationship actually begins even if it is in a secret fashion. Other important moments obviously include when he picks her up after the New York trip and he sees how distraught she is and how damaged she is as a result of that. There are are a lot of Jacob Harriet moments in this book I love but also I think some of the best Jacob Harriet moments are currently just like living in my head and that is because in the dissolution of court there are going to be five sections I believe of about 10 chapters each is what I'm planning so obviously there'll be a section on Nate and Eva there's going to be a section on Darlene Lincoln I am hoping to do a section on Penelope or Kiara I haven't quite decided yet or Montgomery maybe all three in one section. There'll be a section on Iris Ashby and Candace Franklin. This section might be longer than 10 parts because they have a whole storyline I would like to explore. And there will be a section on, obviously, Jacob and Harriet because I think they are like my second favourite romantic couple, simply because they are both simps for one another and it is so adorable. So I will give you a little moment that I have imagined in my head. Obviously, Harriet, after this book, is a recovering addict and I have this moment imagined in my head when she is on the brink of a relapse and she calls Jacob and she spends the night with him in his college apartment and they watch movies and this is before they've rekindled their relationship officially when they are just sort of awkward friends with benefits and it's one of those moments where Harriet recognises the fact that she cannot live her life without Jacob Talbot And I think it'll just be very cute and I'm very excited to write that moment. So next up we are talking about none other than Montgomery Kaiser. Now for Montgomery I have a lot of notes written down. More so than I had written down for Jacob and Harriet. Because I think, I hate to call him interesting because of how much I hate him. But basically yeah. So this is a quick warning. If you're a Montgomery apologist, stop listening right now seriously stop listening you won't like what I have to say I mean I think it's pretty accurate that the first note I have written down for Montgomery Kaiser is just this bitch because 
that is what he is. He is so annoying and I hate him with everything within me. But let's actually talk a bit more about him. So it was important for me to give him more of a visible role in this book as opposed to T-Donk because it's to show how he moulds the way he approaches girls based on which girl he's going after. So for example with Eva his approach was more kind of like like you watched her from afar and you learned what he had to do with her and he quickly jumps to threats with her because he learns that compliments aren't going to get him anywhere however this is the opposite with Harriet because he knows he can compliment Harriet and try and win her over that way before he eventually gets more aggressive and threatening near the end of the book which eventually causes Harriet's downfall. I think the scene with Montgomery that is the most interesting is the scene where Montgomery and Harriet are talking in the bar and they're talking about how Harriet's trying to convince people she isn't an addict and she doesn't have to drink or do anything to make herself happy. And Montgomery says, yeah, some people just need something to get them through the day. And for Harriet, that is, you know, things that she's addicted to. And Harriet says, so what do you need to help you get through the day? And he says, love. Now, I had a reader message me once to say that she thought Montgomery was the way that he is because he was neglected as a child and he lacked a loving household growing up which is such an interesting perspective because it's the total opposite of what I thought I'm not going to say like that's not wrong of her to have said that I think any opinion that my writers have is absolutely correct obviously that isn't something that is canonical anything that isn't canon within my books readers are welcome to theorize about and their opinions are just as correct as mine in my opinion but the way I always viewed it was that he grew up in a household with so many people doting on him and worshipping him and loving him that he grew up and was able to see what he needed to do to win people over and to get people to essentially work for him so he could abuse them. And the weapon he could use to do that was love. I think the prime example of this is how he manages to always keep Penelope on his side with the promise that he loves her and that he will leave Kiara for her and even though he abuses her almost every time they're together he's still able to win her over and obviously that is because of much deeper reasons than love. Domestic abuse is an incredibly complex topic that I don't think I'm informed enough on to talk about it today if you would like some more resources about it then I'm sure you can find other podcasts or newspapers or articles or books but for the sake of me not wanting to oversimplify such an incredibly complex topic I am not going to get into it. I think a big issue with Montgomery throughout this book as well is it was in this book that I got a comment about Montgomery being attractive and that is because Harriet is attracted to Montgomery in a way that Eva never was. But that still does not mean that what he did to her was correct in any way or justifiable in any way. What he did to her was wrong and it will always be wrong. Just because she's attracted to him or, you know, he looked good wearing certain clothes or his hair's a certain way does not mean that sexual assault is ever justified. Point blank period. If you think it is, then I kindly ask you to not follow me or not listen to this podcast. I am not going to get into a discussion about how awful victim blaming is with anyone. 
So the final character I'm going to be touching on is Penelope Rose. Now, I've wanted to talk about Penelope ever since I recorded the first degree episode and that is because, like I said in that episode, she's the second most interesting character for me. Now, for the for every chapter within this book since Penelope is introduced, I pitied her, essentially. And I can't hide that while I can sit here and say how much I hate the Montgomery apologists. Yes, I am a Penelope Rose apologist. And hopefully throughout this episode, I'll be able to explain a bit more why that is. So I get a lot of Penelope hate comments all the time, which I totally understand because, you know what, I think there are a thousand ways to view everybody and there is a thousand and one ways to view Penelope Rose. For me, I think it is because I'm the writer. I have the privilege of seeing and knowing everything there is to know about Penelope. You know, I know about how important tennis is for her and how all she wanted before she met Montgomery was to be loved in an unconditional way. I know that she is ambitious and she's nurturing and caring, or at least she was. And in a lot of ways, I know that she's just like Harriet in the ways that you know, I think it's alluded to throughout this book that they are new money and old money people. Penelope is very much new money, meaning that she doesn't necessarily always fit in with Kiara and Montgomery. Penelope's parents are immigrants also. Her first language is Spanish, it's not English, which is alluded to when it talks about her cousin Rhea. I think in chapter 33, was never originally in the plan for the book chapter 33 was something I knew I had to write about halfway through when I knew I felt so sorry for Penelope and it is my way of eulogizing Penelope Rose and almost apologizing to her in a way because throughout this book it she does go through a lot I'm not gonna hide that I don't think anybody can deny that which is why the moment with the fight between Penelope and Harriet is so interesting because of how reluctant Penelope is to fight her, whereas we know she is more than ready to fight Eva and more than ready to fight everyone but Pen- but Harriet. I think Penelope does take on a like an older sister nurturing role with Harriet and you could deny this, you could think that Penelope was all part of Montgomery's plan to get Harriet in a vulnerable position so he could take advantage of that but you know I would disagree I think throughout Montgomery and Penelope's entire relationship he has just been using her and it started with Rhea and it ends with Penelope dying. Now the actual circumstances of Penelope's unfortunate death will be touched upon more in the dissolution of court it will be mentioned whether her death was self-inflicted or whether it was organised by Montgomery. Those are the main two working theories that the police or not the police, Harriet and Eva have regarding Penelope's death. Throughout this book, I loved every time um, Harriet and Penelope went to the bar and they would talk about their guys and... Penelope would say my guy does this and you know my guy hates when I get drunk and it just really highlights the hypocrisy of Montgomery when it comes to Penelope you know Penelope's his 
favourite thing to control, I like to say Penelope is like his favourite toy that he never wants to share, he never wants to break, he just wants to keep it in its box, sat on it on his shelf and let it grow dusty essentially he doesn't want Penelope to have a life he doesn't want Penelope to do drugs but then as soon as she's off the drugs he gives her more in a way that he can go so he can always be in control of her by getting both Penelope and Harriet addicted he's able to ensure they're constantly vulnerable and he can always take advantage of them and so now I want to talk a little bit about as I said the album Manic by Halsey really was influential on this book and I just kind of wanted to go through all the songs on the album that you know influenced the book if y'all don't mind. So first of all the first song I can see here is Clementine. I really do think that is kind of a Harriet song especially you know the lines or a breakdown or a blackout would you make out with me on the balcony of the mezzanine, I think is a lyric. I think that is quite influential on Harriet, definitely. Especially the lines breakout, blackout, you know, that's what she essentially does at the whole book. Um, you should be sad, definitely. I said last week that that song is very much Yasmin's confrontation of Montgomery's song, but I think everyone who was assaulted by Montgomery essentially it feels that way you know you you are not half the man you think that you are essentially and then like I mentioned earlier forever is a long time most certainly you know that's where the inspiration for this whole book came from specifically you know um I can never keep a perfect thing and not demolish it that is very much how upon reflection especially in chapter 32 when Harriet's lying on the pavement you know that's how she views her relationship with Jacob it was a perfect thing, and but she can't allow herself to have perfect things, unfortunately. This song, I Hate Everybody, definitely feels like the kind of song that would play near the end of the book when Harriet is, you know, jumping from party to party. She's come back to school to find a stray pair of shoes or to pick up an extra pill bottle. That's very much that sort of vibe. The song 3am is most, most certainly a T-Roth song here's the exact moment I think for 3am because obviously there's the lines in the book you know it's 3 in the song it's 3am and I'm calling everybody that I know um I need digital because baby one is physical I end up alone and darling I've just left the bar and there's and I've missed it and I've misplaced all my credit cards my self-preservation and all of my limitations are sitting and contemplating what to do with me that feels like, so obviously whenever Harriet and Penelope go to the bars, Penelope comments that Harriet always ends up standing on the street corner calling Jacob. And if y'all have ever gotten wasted, you know that you usually do end up bringing somebody, or at least maybe this is just personal me. I always end up embarrassing myself in front of somebody because, yeah, when it's 3am and you've got nothing but a feeling of loneliness caused by being drunk alone that something like calling someone is what you do and that is very much that sort of moment for Harriet the song Killing Boys I'm not sure how it fits into the book but I wanted to because I love this song a lot this song is much more like first degree and tech harm but yeah 
finally beautiful stranger feels like it feels like the start of Harry and Jacob's relationship especially you know beautiful stranger only comes along to do me wrong when Harriet is very much reluctant to be in a relationship because she's scared of the effects it'll have on her popularity and her self-image that most certainly feels like that kind of vibe and then 929 I love the song 929 in this album I love how it ends the album it definitely feels like a T-Rock song on me because it's essentially a professional song isn't it the song is about owning Halsey owning up to her life and that's what this book is this book is Harriet divulging everything that happened that year to Eva so in terms of the structure of that being a confessional song and this being a confessional book they are very very similar in tastes I understand that most of you may not have heard this album if you have heard this album geek out with it about it with me please because I love it um if you guys don't actually care about music or if you want more music mentions in the podcast let me know I have a whole episode planned where I rank Taylor Swift's Folklore album in comparison to her 1989 album because they're my two favourite E-Rise. But if music isn't something you want to hear about on this podcast, then just message and be like, Bella, shut up about music. I probably won't listen, but I'll take it into consideration. So let's just cover a few fun facts. I feel like a lot of fun facts I've already covered, but you know, just in case, we'll go over a few more. So this book, like I've mentioned, all my books in my mind are a colour. This book is like a champagne pink, almost like a rose gold kind of pink. The kind of colour it is on the cover. With this book, there aren't too many fun facts because, you know, I've been so open about how the writing stages of this book are so different. Um, I guess it's supposedly not a fun fact, but this book is a lot, is I think one of my least yeah it's one of my least read out of my completed books which honestly could be why it's one of my favorites I guess you know having the comments from readers saying they hate it hasn't managed to ruin it yet whereas with first degree and T-Dunk that has happened so maybe my love for it is more fresh because it hasn't been stamped on and spat on by trolls on Wattpad um I can't think of any more oh actually no a fun fact is I really like the way the aesthetics in this book are framed. Not the way the aesthetics are made, but the way like the characters are introduced in that first chapter where it says, for example, it's Harriet Franklin, desperate to be heard, Evelyn Brannigan, desperate to maintain, Montgomery Bishop, desperate for power, Jacob Talbot, desperate to be loved, Penelope Rose, desperate to forget. I really love that because it shows that everyone in this book is desperate for something. Everybody wants something, you know. Harriet wants her voice to be heard. Eva just wants everything to stay the same. Montgomery just wants to abuse as many people as he can through his powerful position. Jacob just wants to love Harriet and to be loved back. And Penelope just wants to forget about everything she's been forced to endure. So that is one of my favourite like ways of phrasing the aesthetics, apart from in a bit of sweet chemistry where I do it with their coffee orders. I think that's really cute considering it's a coffee shop romance. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast by reaching out through a DM or a message, you can do so through my social medias. And the ones I use the most for the podcast are Instagram and Twitter, where you can find me at Shut Up Bella with an extra S for shut. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed and let me know any thoughts or opinions you have on this episode. Goodbye. Lots of love from Bella.